All right, we're all ready, eh? Fantastic. Uh, if you're new to One Heart Church, we're so glad that you've joined with us this morning. Uh, I don't know where you find yourself on the faith journey and, and spiritual things, but my desire is, and our desire as a church is, that you would be able to have a relationship with Jesus the way that we do, that you can know him as a friend, as a saviour, and be able to experience the fullness of life that following Christ has. And so, yeah, but we're so grateful that you've joined us in the 10.30 service. Hello to all those watching on the stream. I'll see a few faces here this morning that are back from sickness. So it's good to see our friends who are back in the building. Can we clap and welcome our friends who are back here? Yeah, good job. Just a, another just quick thing before we get into what we're going to hear from God this morning about is that our senior pastors, Rob and Pauline, they have been away for the last few weeks. They're not avoiding you. Uh, last week they were in Queensland for the ACC National Conference so the Australian Christian Churches is a movement that we are a part of and they were every second year there's a national gathering of pastors so that's where they were last week then while they were in Queensland they thought well we'll stay here for a week and take annual leave and they're seeing their daughter in Brisbane so they'll be back next week so that'll be good to have them back but that's where they are so uh yeah, then they're not avoiding you. They're just uh, uh, having some rest this last week. Uh, then, yeah, so for, for today, though, if you want to get a Bible, go to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at uh, what God can speak to us about. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're, you're in our lives, that you can speak, you want to speak. And so we just, we ask that you'd reveal to us anything right now that would distract us, uh, that might uh, be a blockage, from us hearing your voice this morning. So Holy and Holy Spirit, we just give you full access to be able to move and correct that we believe, God, that you are the pot and we're the clay. Help us, shift us, and mould us to be the most effective people that we can to live life uh, in the way that you'd want us to live it to the full. When people with faith said, Amen. Amen. So before we get to Philippians chapter 1, I, want, I, it's, I think it's important for us to sort of understand where and how the book of Philippians is to be able to understand and apply it in a powerful way. So the book of Philippians is written by a man named Paul. And so Paul's uh, circumstance of life is quite an interesting one. So uh, the, the, the Jewish religion uh, had been around for thousands of years, and so Paul is a good Jew who, who loves his faith and wants it done well. And then this guy called Jesus comes along and starts stirring the pot and shifting the way Jews start to act and relate to, their, to each other, to faith. And then Paul is like, this compromise is not good. Paul is making a sense like, this, this compromise, this uh, corruption of the faith is not good. And he took the onus on himself to say, I'm going to be the person to see this uh, heresy snuffed out that our Jewish faith would remain strong because that because God wants to bless us when we're doing it to the letter of the law. And uh, so that's how Paul thinks. So he's going, any Christian, I'm going to imprison them. Any Christian, I'm going to uh, make them quiet. We're going to put them in jail so that we'd see our Jewish faith protected and uh, done the way that he thought it was meant to be done. So then uh, 
he, and then the crazy thing with Paul, Paul is then he finds himself on the way to uh, arrest Christians and he has this encounter with Jesus. And he literally has an, has an audible voice from heaven, speaks to him, and a light shines on him and he gets blinded physically. And so it's an it's amazing situation. We, we live in the same covenant that Paul lived in, that God can still speak audibly. God can still make you blind if he needs to, to get a hold of your life. So he, he has this radical conversion from going, I'm going to stamp out this Christian to becoming a Christian. Um, the very thing he swore to destroy, he became. I think that's amazing. The very thing that he thought, oh, I've got to stop this. I'm going to make sure this does not perpetuate in the future was the very thing he became an advocate for, which is amazing. And I even love then the character of God in that. When we, we, we understand Paul and his story, look at uh, Acts chapter 9 and you can read it for yourself. But the fact that is that we, we could look at Paul and go, um, he's too far gone. There's no way that we could use him. But I love the fact that God looks at Paul and goes, I like this guy. This guy has some passion about him. This guy has some talents. He's got, he's got some initiative. He takes some ownership. We could use that in the church. And so God goes, all right, the very person that's been the biggest pain right now, I'm going to get a hold of him. I'm going to change his life and put him on a change the tracks that he's on and help him become a great, from a church stopper to a church planter and encourager and a strengthener. That's amazing. And I still believe the same God that got a hold of Paul can get a hold of the Pauls in our generation in our, in our lifetime, the people that we go, right now these people are trying to shut down the church, these people are trying to crush the church, I believe in the same goal that got a hold of Paul can get a hold of these people's lives where they could become the greatest church uh, encouragers that we've ever seen. And so Paul, uh, becoming the very person he swore to destroy, finds himself in prison for his faith in Christ. And then uh, this guy called Epaphroditus, that's a cool name for a child if you want one. Epaphroditus from the church in Philippi visits Paul while he's in prison. And then Paul goes, all right, well, since you, you've recovered from your illness and you're going to go back to Philippi, here's a letter, take it to the church and bless the church. And so that letter to the Philippians is what we call the book of Philippians in our Bible. So that's where we find ourselves in. So Paul's right, wrote this book and if if God got a hold of Paul and had a great conversion thing, there's things that I want to learn from him, that if God says, I want to use this man to do something powerful, well, God, I want to learn from Paul and be able to have those principles in my life, that my life can do something powerful in which I'm living. So Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 20 to 25. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and I'm going to just jump in a few lines from the New King James just to add a little bit of depth, I guess, to it. So verse 20. For I am fully ex- I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Other, the King James says like this. Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. You might be familiar with it being said like this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 22, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. 
I am torn between two desires. I long to go to be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to keep all of, uh, help all of you, sorry, not keep, help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Wow. I love that. I love that. In tw- the year was 2020, pre-COVID, and so we were allowed, I was al- allowed to travel, and I found myself in Western Australia, and I was in Perth. One of my many cousins decided to get married, so there was a Santo Stefano pilgrimage to Western Australia, and so during some of the, um, the, the breaks between the weddings and like before and after our travel, the extended family thought, well, we'll do some uh, uh, tr- uh, tourist uh, things together. And so one of the attractions that we were made aware of was the uh, Fremantle Prison Tour. So we, we, we did that, and it was exciting. And alongside the Fremantle Prison, so that's a prison that's recently uh, been uh, shut down, and so you can just... It's, it was interesting bit of history. And then uh, along with that, there's this thing called the, uh, the Fremantle Prison Tunnel Tour. And I thought, this is, that's really exciting. And so it was $65 to do this tunnel tour. And I was like, I can't believe this. I've grown up in Australia my whole life. I've done education in school from like reception to year 12. And I learned about Ned Kelly, uh, the Eureka Stockade, all these interesting history facts about Australia. And I have never once learned about the prison escape in Fremantle. How did I never learn about this? I'm like, yeah, $65. I'll go and uh, do the tour and see the history of these Australian convicts trying to break out of jail. So we, 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 we do the tour of the prison and then we get, sat, we get all this like, um, like safety equipment put on us so when we go down buried into the earth, we, we're protected. Then they sat us down to watch this video and I was so disappointed because the video was about water supply. And I'm like, oh, these tunnels, there's no prison break. It was, a, it was a water supply tunnel. But as the tour guide was directing us um, through the prison to get to where we needed to go, he, he, there's like this hatch sticking out the ground. And on this hatch, there was this uh, poor example of what I would have called a ladder. It's, apparently it's a ladder, but I'm like... It, it, but I, I would not climb that thing down. And so then the, the tunnels are 20 metres in the ground. And so when you think about 20 metres like horizontally, you're like, oh, 20 metres. You flip that down vertically and you're like, low, 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 low. And then I, I'm seeing this, you can't even call it a ladder. Like you shouldn't call it a ladder. But that's the best thing a way I could describe it. I'm like, if I meant to climb that down all the way to the bottom, there's no... I've invested $65 to this touring that I'm not going to be able to participate in. And then the, so then like time stands still and I just got, my mind is rushing. I've got all these thoughts going through my head. It's like, oh, $65, is $65 worth that much to me? Like, because uh, it's, it's $65, you can buy a lot for $65. I'm like, have I invested it into them? Am I going to trip? My mind and fear is rattling me to the core. And then, to my relief, the prison guard says, no, this is the emergency exit. We're getting in in another way. So I end up doing the tour. If you go to Fremantle, check it out. It's a good, good learning experience. But in that moment, I, I never realized it until I experienced this, this hatch that I had in a phobia of heights. I had a fear 
of height. And for all of us, if we had a conversation, I'm sure there's something that in the right moment, at the right opportunity, fear will grip you. And you might not have ever experienced it before, but there's a, a fear of something. And even yesterday, I'm on, on Google just because of this, and I was just searching up different phobias. Man, there's a phobia for everything. It's crazy. But for me, with my fear of heights at that moment, I'm not necessarily feared of heights. I'm fearful of falling. And then if we take that to the next degree as well, well, I wasn't necessarily fearful of falling. I'm fearful of what happens after the fall. Um, and the, this is what Paul is addressing here, is this fear of death. And as humanity, we're fearful of what happens to our flesh. It's a natural default response that we're worried about, will we die? Because we, we don't want to die. Do, do, do I have an agreement? I, if, it's up, if it's my choice, I don't want to, want to die. And, that, and then I love then what Jesus has to say about the fear of death in Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 4 to 5. Jesus says this, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I will tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he is the one to fear. Wow. Selah, ponder that. Not often in church we, 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 we talk about these things, but I think it's important for us as a church and as disciples of Jesus, if, we, if that's what we've decided that we want to follow in Christ, We've got to ponder these things seriously. Like Paul had an understanding of eternity that Jesus makes it very clear to us is that it, when this perishes, like yes, it's not ideal, but that is not the fear that we are meant to be consumed by. We're meant to be consumed by what is the, the destination of our soul. Because God has the power and the control of both those things. Man may dictate what happens to our flesh, but God dictates what happens to our soul. And, and, and we've got to really uh, get a hold of that. Where have we got the trust and confidence of our soul? Because God has the power for that. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. And from a New Testament, New Covenant perspective, that really comes alive to me that we understand that, you know what, our life is so short, so fleeting, so temporary, and it helps us live with purpose. Psalms, oh, so we go Job 7 verse 7, life is but a breath. Psalms 39.5, my entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. James 4.14 in the New King James. For what is your life? It is, uh, it is even a vapor that appears a little time and then vanishes away. 1 Chronicles 29.15. We are here for a, only a moment, visitors and strangers, in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like the passing shadow, gone as soon without a trace. And so we understand here, Scripture time and time again in many ways declares to us, it is so short, life is so fleeting. Um, I remember being 21 and, I'm not, and time is flying by me. We've got to understand, in the, in the scale of eternity, in the eyes of God, our life is but a breath. And Jesus tell, um, instructs us, he says that don't get caught up on the temporary. Um, uh, things can seem important, things, but... There's so much bigger 
in our life than the temporary flesh that we live in. And so we're not to live in fear. Ultimately, Jesus' context is of, of persecution and martyrism. We're not to get consumed by, will people persecute me? Will people martyr me because of my faith? That's important, but be more concerned with, do we know Christ? How, do we let him be our redeemer? Because that is what it, it matters at the end of the day. And so uh, what's, what's, what, yeah, what's the significance that you put on your soul? What is the weight that you put on your soul? Have you put all your weight, all your significance on the temporary flesh? Or have we put a healthy weight of the, our eternal significance and our future uh, soul? And I love that Paul had a secure soul. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is, do we have a secure soul? Paul had a secure soul, and it dictated how we saw heaven. It dictated how he saw eternity and what he believed for his future. Verse 21 from Philippians 1 again said, For to me, Paul speaking, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. In the King James, uh, for me to live uh, is Christ and to die is gain. And we got, I want to make this so clear for us as a church that Paul is not advocating the ending of life. Paul is not, suggest, uh, is not struggling with mental health or entertaining suicidal thoughts. Rather, he is suggesting that faith in Jesus isn't an insurance policy for the fires of hell. And, uh, uh, well, like, what do I choose heaven or hell? Oh, I better, better choose heaven. No, it's not that kind of decision. Paul is saying, heaven is going to be the best experience of my life. What else would I rather do? Where else would I rather be? He had a hopeful, faith-filled expectation that the being uh, uh, present with the Lord is going to be the best thing he could ever do. And so we've got to get a healthy understanding of this as well, that we don't live in fear of hell. Now, that is a true reality. But as a, as a Christian, as a believer, we're not going, well, I just don't want to go there. No, we have a joyful expectation that presence with Jesus is going to be the best thing we could ever experience. And so Paul had an understanding that, hey, if I die, that is, is my win because I'm going to be with the Lord. And we, are, we want to live with that kind of expectation that despite the news that comes our way, the things that are out of our control, we have a faith that goes, when this life is done, we know that we're in the presence of God, like Paul, and going, that is to my gain. That is to my benefit, because that is the purpose of my faith. That we understand, once this life is done, we have eternity with Jesus. It can be said like this, death is not defeat, but graduation into glory. And, we've got to, and that's what Paul understood. He understood, and Jesus is telling us, death is not defeat, but it's graduation into glory. And so death isn't something that we get saddened by but, or live in fear of, but it's something that we take a hold of and go, you know what, we, that when we die here, we're present with the Lord, and that's an exciting thing. And I, I want us as a church to continue to live in that, to go, when we, when we have funerals, yes, it might be sad in a way, but it brings joy to go, they're in the presence of our Savior. And... I mentioned it before, but we're not to live in a fear of hell, but we are to live, uh, live though, knowing that if those in our world who do not know Christ, that is their reality, and that shouldn't cripple us and go, oh no, what are we going to do? But we should have uh, a burden for prayer, a burden to seek God, that we could see a miracle happen, that those in our world would not have that 
uh, reality, but they could, like Paul, like a lot of us have had, the revelation that heaven is our home, is our destination, and we want to have that, that um, unhindered connection with the glory and the splendor of Jesus. And I believe that for every street, every workplace, every place people gather on that lower air peninsula, I believe that we can see the message of Christ reach those places without, that no longer do they end up in hell, but they would have the same attitude of Paul that goes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because I'm in full uh, relationship and connection with him. So Paul had a had a yeah Paul had the a, a secure soul, and Paul also had a confident calling, and so uh, Paul had this revelation that goes, I know how good it's going to be when I meet with Jesus, and while I'm here on earth, I'm going to do everything that I can that people have that same experience, that people have that same encounter, that they would realize that I can too have a a joy and a passion to be with my Savior in heaven. And so verse 22 says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. Uh, it is, and it, what's so interesting when it talks about there, to be fruitful. Oh, I believe, just like Paul had this desire and this understanding, that um, and he, he, he's in the tension between, well, I can be fruitful on earth or I can be with Jesus. And he goes, oh, I, I'm, depending on what translation you read, I'm hard-pressed, I'm torn. And he's in this, this thing because both are awesome. What a privilege an opportunity it is to be to say while I'm living on earth God has got a plan for my life God has got a calling for me to be fruitful to be effective to do something that's awesome he goes I can be in his his presence unhindered uh fully just that's a it's amazing thing to behold I can't even comprehend the 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 opportunity to be with Christ but then he goes that same glorious save that I want to be in has got a plan for me here that I can be effective in. And so he's saying, so yeah, this is awesome, but what an opportunity. This is just as awesome. And we want to be a church, disciples, Christians, that live in that tension where we, we can't wait for that day, but we're not neglecting this day because this day is just as weighty as that. And so uh, when we look at plants that produce fruit, I don't know any other place you can get fruit from, but it's not an overnight thing. It's not like you plant the seed and boom, there's just like fruit popping up. It, t- it takes a, a, a journey of maturity, I guess, for it to uh, ripen. And, and in our culture, we have microwaves, zap it, and it's cooked instantaneous. But we've got to understand that we sometimes will read a scripture like that and go, well, I want my instant fruit. But it's not uh, an overnight success. We got to commit to the journey and going just like a tree, it gets the water, it does what it needs to do, and then fruit is produced. We got to commit to the journey, like Paul says. You know what? We're going to live a daily life where we will be fruitful. Where we're making decisions today, we're going to make decisions tomorrow that are going to lead to fruit because we're activating ourselves in the daily. So, but if we were to ask ourselves, well, how do we be fruitful? Psalms chapter 1 has a great key for us. Verse 2, delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Verse 3, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. 
That is amazing. And if we apply the new covenant, the new testament to that scripture, we would understand though then, if when we read the red, when we open up our Bible and we read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and you see the red, you see the direct words that Jesus says and we go, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be a disciple of him? We will get the, the knowledge that we need, the, the, the principles that we need to apply and live out, that we will prosper in all we do. That we, just like a, a tree by the river where the water is flowing, we can plant ourselves by the river of God, by the river of the Holy Spirit, and go, you know what? Change me, mold me, shift me, that I can live in such a way that I will be fruitful and prosper in all that I do. And I... And, there's so many things that we can find ourselves in, so many situations where we go, this isn't ideal, this isn't what I would choose, this isn't not the, the cards that I would like to pick up. But in that moment, in that situation, we can have an understanding, as it says there in Psalms, and as Paul tells us to be fruitful, when we make the scripture our priority in our life, we can go, God, we want to meditate on that, we want to apply that and live in such a way that we prosper in all we do, that we go, in my workplace today, I am going to be fruitful. In my family life, I am going to be fruitful. And I'm going to prosper and see God do what he wants to do in my life, because that's what I'm here to do. I love that. Then uh, the other awesome thing about um, uh, when, we, when we read scripture, like what I get encouraged by is John chapter 21, verse 22, I believe. And it says that, uh, Peter and John are having this conversation uh, with Jesus. And so Jesus tells, talks to John and says, this is what your next steps are. Peter is, in, is overhearing it and gets a little bit offended and goes, well, Jesus, what about me? Like, what, what, a, what, a, what are you, no, sorry, I stuffed that up. No, Jesus talks to Peter and then Peter goes, well, what about John? And then Jesus says, no, I've told you what to do, Peter. Don't you worry about John. As for you, follow me. And what's, what's so powerful about that scripture to me is that we can look at uh, scripture and we can read what happens in Paul's life and go, wow, Paul did this. Wow, Paul did that. Wow, if only I could do like, like Paul. But we don't have to be Paul. Paul did what he did, but God's got something unique for us. And our job isn't to do a Peter and say, well, what about John? What about Paul? We're going to go, well, we're going to be obedient to your voice in our lives, Jesus, and be effective in that and be obedient to that and say, well, I, I, I like it to look like that, but I, I'm going to produce the fruit that you want to produce in my life and be obedient. And I believe when we do that, God can bless and flourish our lives that we could be um, effective and fruitful and prosper in every season that we find ourselves in. And ultimately, Paul had an understanding of the lordship of Christ. He understood that it didn't matter um, what happens here, what happens there. God is pulling the strings at such. And so when he dies, he doesn't go, well, I missed out on my opportunity. He's going, while I'm here, I'm going to fulfill my opportunity. Another way that we can look at this in scripture and it from Matthew's chapters 3 to 4, there's an interesting line. So in Matthew chapter 3, we find John the Baptist is baptizing people. And so as he's baptizing people, he's preaching this sermon. It's a, it's a great sermon. We should have sermons like this more at church. Repent of your sins for the kingdom of heaven is near. All right, see you next week. That's a sermon that John's preaching. Repent of your sins for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then as we then progress into the chapter 4 of Matthew, we see John gets um, arrested and put to prison. And then Jesus starts preaching the message, repent of your sins for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so for 
for, for a decade or so, I used to read that, that um, situation in Scripture and think that um, from my poor uh, exegesis was that Jesus was the ultimate sermon stealer. That he's going on YouTube effectively and going, oh, that was a great sermon. I'm preaching that next week. And every time I would read it, I'd be like, man, Jesus, you sneaky, you sneaky creator. Hearing John's message, you're like, you, you, why don't you create your own? And I finally got the revelation in the last like, few years. But it's like, no, Josh, that is not. Jesus isn't this sneaky sermon stealer. What the, the, the thing there is that God is saying that John is preaching the message of the gospel. And then when the enemy tries to silence that voice, another voice will arise to share the same message. And that's the proper application of that. But Paul is living with that understanding of that thing where he goes, you know what, while I'm on earth, I've got to occupy the streets that I'm on. While I'm on earth, I've got to occupy the fruit, the talent, the gifting that God's called me to produce and to be effective in. And then when the time comes that I go, God will raise up the voice that's needed in that area. God will raise up the ministry. So we're not to live in fear and going, well, if I'm not here, who's going to do it? We're going to be like Jesus and John, where it doesn't matter what happens to us, but we believe that the, the, the message of Christ will go out. But until God makes a call, we decide while we're breathing, we're going to be effective in ministry. We're going to see God move in our lives because he's called us and equipped us to do something powerful in the generation in which we live. And so, uh, yeah, Paul has fully surrendered and submitted his life to the Lordship of Christ and he has a, uh, a secure soul. He loves Jesus and wants to be in the fullness in the presence of, 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 of Christ. And I want us to be able to have that same revelation, that same understanding. And then also, Paul is living in such a way where he goes, while I'm on earth, I have the privilege of serving God, and I want to do it to the best I can to see people saved and know Jesus. And so let's not get caught up in making excuses, uh, getting reasons to discount ourselves, but have the attitude of Paul, as for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And as the music team come and join me as we come to a close, I love what it says there in verse 20 in the New King James translation, but Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And I want us to ponder that thought that Christ will be magnified. And when I, when I grew up as a kid, uh, you'd see things on TV and other things about a magnifying glass and pyromaniacs like creating fires because I would magnify the, the light of the sun to burn leaves and whatnot. But in a, what, what does that magnify? It enlarges, it increases. And the purpose of a disciple, the purpose of a follower of Jesus is to magnify Christ. That is what we're here to do. And so if people were to ask us, if they wanted to name you by name, would they be able to say in your life, they magnified Christ. They made Jesus bigger in their life. Because if we want to strip back Christianity to what the core of it is, as a follower of Jesus, our, the, the purpose of what we are to do day in and day out is magnify Jesus. Make Jesus bigger in your circumstance. So often in life, we can have sickness and health challenge come to our life. And we magnify the health. Oh, well, I can't do this because of that. I'm facing this challenge today. But as a follower of Jesus, we're meant to go, we magnify Christ. We make Jesus bigger 
in our life. We don't focus in on the challenge. We don't focus in on the issue. It doesn't mean we, we, we discredit and, don't, and we ignore it. But we go, despite this, our job is to magnify Jesus, is to make Him supreme, make Him bigger, to see the full facet of His glory and His splendor. And I want us to be able to leave this place of freshness and go, you know what? I'm going to make a decision today. I'm going to magnify Christ in my life. That whether I live or whether I die, people can say about my life, he, she made the decision to magnify Christ and that when they when they were breathing, their life was all about the purpose of Christ. And when they die, we know that they knew where they were going because they loved Christ. And so I want, us to, I want to pray for us this morning that we can live a life, that we magnify Christ, that we have a soul secure and a confidence in our calling. Like Paul that goes, you know what? Either way, it doesn't matter where I find myself, I trust God that while I'm here, I'm going to put my hand to the plow. I'm going to do what needs to be done. But when I go, oh, that is going to be an exciting time. So God, right now, we just pray for One Heart Church. God, I just pray for every believer in this place. May we have the, the attitude of Paul that we can declare for our lives that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That uh, to live is serving you with the privilege and a calling. But then when the time comes that we meet with you in glory, that will be the best experience that we could ever have. And so God, may our life and may our death be glory to you. May we continue to live in such a way that we bring uh, a magnification of you in every circumstance and facet we find ourselves in because you're calling us to something greater and stronger. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.